0: because I want you to have a profitable private practice. My new book, Profit First for Therapists, is available at most online retailers. You can get it in paperback, audiobook, or ebook as well. Go check it out.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Therapy for Your Money. Today, we are talking about charging your full fee and just getting comfortable with doing that, living your very best life and charging your worth and all that fun money mindset stuff. Uh, so I am joined by Elise freda Cologne. Elise, thank you for coming on the podcast. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm great. Great. Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, what you do. I am a uh, therapist in private practice in New York for about eight teen years, I think, a long time. Uh, and I'm also I've re- recently launched some small group coaching program for women as well, so that I can work with people outside of the state of New York. Wonderful. Um, so you you have some thoughts about charging your full fee. You you feel very strongly about this topic, right? I feel um, strongly about it. Yes. Yeah. So. I mean, let's let's start with an with an easy one. How does a therapist or private practice owner decide it's time to change the fee structure or raise fees, or you know, how how do you know it's time? Well, I think that that therapists have been taught that their job is to sacrifice themselves, uh, and that to do any less than that means you are not a great clinician, or that you're not caring or empathetic. Um, I actually saw someone in a Facebook group posted saying, this was the quote, therapists who do not take insurance have no soul. (laughs) Wow. Those are some fighting words. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Holy Yeah. So yeah, people have strong feelings about it. Um, But as someone who used to take insurance and work a ridiculous number of hours, just sort of thinking, well, that's what you're supposed to do because nobody taught me any differently. I was, you know, I just kind of went along and did it um, and burned myself out. And I said, there's got to be a better way. And I was able to find uh, a much better way where I was completely changing my mindset and saying, no, 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 no. This is my business. I get to decide how it's run and what my fee structure is. And it's not dictated by an insurance company or a client. This is my business. And it has to work for my life. So I think it's important for people to get clear on what do they need from their practice. Yeah, what What do they need? So
0: how did you make the transition from insurance to private pay?
1: Funny enough, uh, so I was on a lot of insurance companies and I knew I had to get off of them, but, uh, and then I had this one day I got a letter from an insurance company saying, oh, by the way, um, these claims that you submitted for these two clients for the last two months, we're not going to pay any of it. We don't think it was medically necessary. And I'm like, done. That's it. I'm done. And I sat down and I wrote letters to every insurance company disenrolling that same day. And, you know, I had to submit them all. And I got the letters back saying, okay, your effective date of disenrollment. And there were, my last date to be on any insurance company was like, I don't know, like March 13th, 2020. <laughs> that time. <timing. laughs> so it was so funny because leading up to that, I was like, okay, I just have to get to this date. I just have to get to this date. And then the date comes and the whole world just down. I'm like, what the hell did I do? Oh, oh no. <laughs> was, I mean, that time. Yeah. You could not possibly have planned it any worse.
0: But how did the timing end up working out for you?
1: Perfectly. Perfectly. Okay. Because, you know, it's a little daunting at first because when you make the decision, you're going off. And you get the dates. It's like, okay, now I have to have the conversation with yeah. every insurance client that I have. And at first I was, I was so scared. It's like, well, how is this going to, everyone's going to leave and I'm going to have to start over from scratch. I was just sure that's how it was going to go. So I made a list of all of my clients and, you know, and had the talk and some people left as I knew that they would. And this part of the hour work together was over and I referred them out many people stayed uh what i ended up doing if i could go back i would do it differently is giving people all different fees because it was all self pay so i didn't set i i kind of played let's make a deal with my fee structure to to ease the burden i felt of uh of the private pay and in retrospect i think that that made things quite confusing and i i wish that i had just set a higher fee right from the bat as opposed to setting it lower, and then having to continually revisit it to raise it. But the reason I'd say that it worked out so well is because the pandemic provided a very natural, I'll say, uh, stop, because so many things were on pause that the abruptness of having gotten off the insurance panels or not seeing people was felt much less than it would have been had that's a good point. Mm-hmm. So it turned out, and and not everyone left, right? As always is the case where you think everyone's going to leave. Some people leave, but I've never actually seen everyone leave. And it turned out to be okay. Um, okay, so how, I mean, you got to that point where there's a very clear line in the sand. That's not the case for everyone, right? What What are some of the signs, like, you may need to consider going down this road? So many signs. Uh, I found. Feeling resentful, right? So you're sitting across from a club where you've given them a low fee, whether they asked for it or you just offered it because you didn't think you could charge a higher fee. And they're talking about uh, their trip to Europe or the $300 shoes they just bought. And you start to feel like, wait a second, what, what am I doing here? This isn't fair. And you start to feel resentful. And I think that that can have a very negative impact on the clinical work that you're doing, whether or not you see that it's happening. And if you feel as though you have allowed yourself to be taken advantage of, or um, you are not setting the parameters of your practice, I just think it can have an adverse effect. So you need to get clear about what do you need to make to live your life? What kind of, uh, what kind of downtime do you need? What kind of hours do you want to work? It's, I used to have the mindset that when someone called, it was my job to figure out how to get them on my schedule. I would, whatever time would work for them, whatever fee would work for them. And once I started doing work on my money mindset, like, what am I doing? And I remember the first time I got a call after saying, no more, this is my fee. Someone's saying, oh, that's a little high. Can you do any better than that? And I was like offended. I said, no, that's my fee. And if that doesn't work for you, I can give you the names of some providers who perhaps have a lower fee. And she booked with me, of course but I got insulted. Like, where else do you go? Where you're like, uh, "No, nah, I don't like that fee. Uh, you you got to go for a haircut and say, you know, nah, could you do better? Could you give me a lower fee? No, you pay with my the- gripe with this industry. Like this is my, my soapbox. Like who, because I often hear also practice owners say in the same sentence, this is my full fee, but if you can't pay it, I can do Right. Like in the, like, there's not even a pause like, but if you can't, I, I could probably slide it. And then you end up with like, oh, I have a private pay practice, but everyone is on a sliding scale. That is no better. That is no better. But where do you go to the surgeon and say, oh, that's too much. Or like, oh, this hospital's more than I expected. Like, can we go to a different hospital? No. And I think part of it is that uh, it's it's kind of drilled into you. And I remember being in, in uh, graduate school, uh I guess I can say. I mean, I went to a good, I went to Columbia University, you know, really good school. And uh, I remember feeling that there was a um, hostility, might be too strong a word, but a bias against those of us who intended to go into private practice. And we were kind of seen as the sellouts that the real, that the real social workers were going to be doing the. The, the good work. The... the so is that agency like considered that was considered good or like what was yeah you weren't you weren't in it you were not trying to make money that was kind of a a no no. Uh, and I remember that, that I've heard a lot. Yeah, that, that like oh well, and, and this this line drives me freaking crazy. I didn't get in this deal to make money. Like what the where did that come from? And you know they don't teach in grad school. There was no. Business classes, there was nothing even mentioned about building a private practice, or if that's the route you want to go, how do you do that, and how do you set fees? And and the way, and having been in practice all these years, the way I have built a practice is like figuring it out myself, or going to a colleague and saying, "Hey, do you, how how do I how do I do this?" Nobody knows, and it seems as though in the last, well, oh, it's five to seven years. There's been this whole. Group of disruptors in this field who yeah, I love, and I can't get enough of them because they're saying, No, 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 this, that's old school stuff. We're not doing it anymore. There's another way to be. And I'm just, they're, they're so wonderful. And I'm so appreciative that they are, that they have a platform and a voice. I, I think I've heard often of professors in grad school saying, Well, you're not, you're not going to make money doing this. And I, Wonder how harmful those few words are to the entire industry, right? How many people decide, you know what? I need to support my family, and I will. I'm the only care, you know, breadwinner, and this is not going to work for me. Let me go do something else where I can make a living wage. And how, um, how many people that has excluded from the field that otherwise would have been amazing clinicians that just simply opt out because. They think they will never be able to, to, to make money after paying for a master's degree. Yeah. It, and it's, it's untrue, first of all. And I think that it's antiquated thinking, less mm-hmm. of a different era. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can make a very good living as a therapist. I mean, I set my own schedule. I work the days I want to work. I have never felt freer in my career than I do now, having a very nice fee that every single person pays the exact same fee. Everyone is at $250 a session, everyone. Mm-hmm. And I thought, there's no way anybody's, because I started at 200 when I went through my kind of evolution. Mm-hmm. But The first time I had to say my fee is 200, I, I thought I was going to pass out. And the person's like, okay. And now I'm like, well, once I go to 250, nobody's going to pay that. And everybody is like, okay. Sure. And some people will call who want to make an appointment and say, oh, that's too much for me. I can't do it. That's fine. And I refer them out. But I am continually amazed by the number of people who are just like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, when there is, I, I find that, um, are you specialized, Elise? I do primarily. I'm not a strict uh, cognitive behavioral therapist, but I, I'm a very, I work very behaviorally. Okay. Um, yeah. I find that the, that happens more and more so the more specialized you are, right? If you're someone who sees just people for OCD or just children or like the and, and
0: OCD for children, even more like your feet can be whatever you want. And if someone needs it, they will, they will figure, figure it out. Um, it's a little harder for generalists, which I, in my experience, what is your experience there? I would say
1: so. I think that, uh, yeah, I think that, the, the the more in need a particular uh, specialist is, the higher rate they can charge. But I would argue that a therapist who is confident in their abilities and has clients who are, you know, because most of your referrals come from word of mouth after a yeah. while. And people are telling other people how fabulous you are. People want to see you. So it isn't necessarily, I think that people believe like, oh, I have to have a certain degree or I have to have a certain number of years in the field or a certain specialty in order to be able, I don't really subscribe to that. I think that anyone can charge whatever fee they want. And then clients are, no one's holding a gun to anyone's head. Clients are not, you're not, you know, you're not doing anything wrong. You're saying, this is what I'm charging. And if someone doesn't want to pay that fee, that's fine. Um, and the other thing that's interesting is that I think that a lot, of, a lot of us start off in community mental health where they have grants and funding, and they are set up to be able to see people at a very low rate. And then we go into private practice trying to almost replicate that without their resources. Yeah. So, you know, I will now have to pay for this office and the overhead and my loans and my continuing ed and and I'll charge a really low rate with, with no one supplementing that. So it's unsustainable and it just leads to, it leads to burnout and just not a good situation. So what, do you, what mindset shifts do you think need to happen in order for a therapist to get to that place? Well, we are doing, I'd say, kick-ass, life-changing work. And that you need to acknowledge that you are providing a very valuable service and you are under no obligation to be giving it away. And if you have a fee, you need to decide what that fee is and practice saying it and own it. And you do not follow up. My fee is $250 with anything other than silence. <laughs> Stop it. You shut it and say nothing, nothing. There's no, but if not, this is my fee. Cause if you, if it's, it's my fee. Unless you want to pay something else, then it's not really your fee,
0: right? Yeah, I would agree. You got to. I would it. agree.
1: Um, and what about the fear piece? Like, is is it? Can we normalize the fact that it's scary? You're going to be if you think you're not going to be scared, like getting off insurance or or picking a high number for your fee, you're going to be scared shitless. You will absolutely be scared. That's okay. Do it anyway. You do it, and you you save a fee and you be quiet. And then you do, you put the next person, you say it and you be quiet and it gets easier and easier. And now I I don't even, if someone were to say, wow, this actually happened to me. I had an old, old, old client that I haven't seen for probably 10 years call me. And I said, I'm not on insurance. And my fee is 250. She goes, oh my God. That's so, why is that so high? I'm like, you know, you know what you get for that? She's like, I know, I know. I'm not ever getting sucked into feeling bad about it or apologizing for it because I know that the work I do is good and I know the value that it brings. And people tell me all the time, this transformed my life. And why are we underselling ourselves or or minimizing the transformative work that we're doing? I, I just feel like we, we gotta stop that. And, and all the shaming around therapists who wanna do good work and make a good living needs to stop. Yeah, we're we're recording this in summer of 2023.
0: We're it, it feels like there's a little bit of economic unrest still, right? There's less recession talk, but I'm hearing a lot from clients and in Facebook groups like, "Oh, I've had a really quiet
1: summer." Oh, there's a lot less referrals coming in. So, is this still a good time to drop panels? Yes, I believe so. Yes, I you know I was on insurance panels for a long time and. And for people who, uh, let's say, uh, need to pay a lower fee or want to use their insurance, there are lots of providers available. It's not as though there is no one that they can go to. I am just not going to be that provider. No. And I think that you can make all sorts of excuses and always come up with a reason why it's not a good time to do it, right? Oh, the economy. Give me a break. It's, it doesn't matter. You, you do it. I haven't heard one peep about the economy. And In our profession, uh, it it ebbs and flows. And summer is a notorious quiet time where things drop off. Back in the day, I remember that most people in the field took off the entire month of August. I don't know if that still happens, but that was like a thing. Uh, So you can then start to project or attribute it to something else to give yourself a reason to not take the scary step. But I don't think you should give yourself excuses. Just do it. How do you think this translates to translates to a group practice i don't I don't I really can't speak on that because I'm not part of a group practice and I've never worked for a group practice so i don't I don't know how I don't know how that would translate Okay um can, let's talk about some of the downsides um to not making changes or you know all the things that come along with making a change well. Uh, as I said, the resentful, uh, becoming resentful is a huge one. Working too many hours. I had days, I, I'm embarrassed to, to say the number of clients that I would see in one day because my mindset at the time was the only way I can make more money is to see more people. So I just have to keep adding people. And it, it, when I think back, it was ridiculous, right? And that mindset was so narrow and rigid, um, not making the kind of money you need to make to live your life and to, for many, you know, pay back student loans. And, you know, we, we have to do, uh, you know, in addition to the grad school, we have to do lots and lots and lots of clinical hours. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think that we undermine ourselves when we diminish what we, you know, what we have, um, what we've gone through and the work that we've done to get to this level. You know, we get there and then we're giving our services away because someone told us that we're meanies if we charge any money. It's 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 just nonsensical to me. Yeah. Um, Elise, I have a very pointed question for you. What is your favorite business book and why? So I like the uh, Jen uh, Sincero, Sincero book, You're a Badass at Making Money, which is not. A, I wouldn't say it's a business book per se, but it's more of a, a mindset book about money. Okay. And stop telling yourself that you can't make money or you're not good at making money. And there's a bit of manifesting in it, which for some people is a little woo-woo, but it can't hurt. But I, I found it very helpful and I got a lot of highlights <laughs> in that book uh, that I refer back to. What's one takeaway you got from that book? I'm just curious because I, I, have, I have not read it. Well, it is very, very good. Uh, okay, so here's a Perfect. It says, because money is currency and currency is energy, when you shrink down and lower your prices to accommodate someone, you're basically saying the equivalent of, I don't think you could grow and manifest the money you desire to work with me. I don't believe you're that powerful. I also don't think I have the right to charge what I'm worth or to make the decisions around here about what to charge. gold. Mm-hmm. Listeners can't see, but Elise pulled out the book. It was right there, pulled it out, flipped to a page, and boom, it was right there. It's great. That that was a good one. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on today. If listeners are interested in working with you, I know you mentioned at the top you have two different coaching programs. Where can they find you? They can go to my website, Coaching with Elise, A-L-Y-S-E. And I also have a therapy page, AFC, which is my initials. Uh, So like Apple, Frank, Cat, Therapy. Uh, dot com. And and my coaching, you can see the programs that I offer. They're kind of fun. Um, And I'm also all over social media at both of those handles. And I'm doing TikTok videos too. So feel free to watch those. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Thanks, Elise. Thank you so much.
0: If you're looking for accounting help, head over to therapyforyourmoney.com slash accounting to find information about my accounting firm and all of our specialized services just for private practice owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Just head over to iTunes, click on ratings and reviews, and give us a quick shout out. We really appreciate it. The information contained in this podcast represents the host and guest's general opinions and should not be construed as personalized accounting and tax advice. Listeners should consider all facts and circumstances before applying this information and seek appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. Any info provided does not constitute accounting, tax, or legal advice.